Heavenly Father, wash us in the blood of Jesus that though our sins are like scarlet, you will make us as white as wool. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. I am grateful for Philip Jensen preaching these last two Sundays. I plan on preaching this morning uh, as full a sermon as he preached, but in half the time. Looking as we have done the past two Sundays as we work our way through the book of Revelation, uh, it's, if you have your pew Bibles, uh, it'd be easier to follow along there because I will be hearkening back to chapter 6 on several occasions. And a funny Advent moment happened uh, when uh, a husband and wife were in the pew. This is a true story because the husband ratted the wife out. And when someone said, open your pew Bibles, he went to reach for it. He didn't grow up at the Advent. And the wife looked at him and shook her head, shook her head and said, we don't do that here. Uh, so I thought that was kind of funny. Anyway, but we do. So if you look at chapter 7, it's a strange little interlude between chapters 6 and 8. Chapter 6 is, uh, we pole vaulted over entirely, but in chapter 5, John is faced with this scroll with the seven seals. And there's this worry that no one will be worthy enough to open the scroll. And yet the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ himself, is able to open up the scrolls. And chapter 6 is the opening of the first six scrolls. Then you have chapter 7. And then chapter 8 is the opening of the seventh scroll. But in chapter 6, you have a lot of judgment. You have the four horsemen of the apocalypse, uh, the judgment of God raining down on people. But then all of a sudden in chapter 7, John's attention shifts from focusing on what's happening in the world to what's happening in heaven while all of this is going on. And what he sees first are 144,000 from the people of Israel, from the 12 tribes who are sealed by God and protected. Now this number, 144,000, is not an exact number. A lot of uh, religious movements through the years have gotten it really wrong by saying things like there will only be 144,000 people in heaven. But that number is a perfect number. It's a number of fulfillment. It means that all those whom God has ransomed will be saved. But then he continues on past the 144,000 where our reading picks up in Revelation chapter 7. And what does he say? Does he say, I saw 144,000? He says, I saw a multitude so great that it could not be numbered. And not just from the people of Israel, not from the 12 tribes, but from every people, race, tongue, and tribe. There they were, clothed in white, standing around the throne of God, with palm branches in hand, singing praise to him. And an elder comes to John for the second time. The first time he asked, who will open the scroll? And John is so distressed at the prospect of someone not being worthy enough to open it, he begins to weep. But here the elder approaches him and asks a very good question. Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? Now, John ought to have known at least something about these people. In chapter 6, in verse 11, we see that white robes are being given to the martyrs. And so John should have seen that. But John answers with a great answer. 
Uh, we would call it deflection. Uh, but John doesn't, he says, sir, you know. You know better than I who these beyond number are dressed in white. I have a feeling I know who they might be, but you are able to give me a definitive word, an answer of who, what, when, and where the saints have come. John defers. John has been given this incredible glimpse of what is going to happen at the end times, both on earth and in heaven. And even though he's under the guidance of the Holy Spirit to write these words down, John doesn't trust himself. I know what I'm seeing, but I've made the mistake before of when I see something thinking it means one thing, when it actually means something totally different. If you live in SCC country, uh, you know this. Uh, normally, when someone's wearing a college shirt that says Alabama, Auburn, LSU, or something like that, what does that make you think? Well, logically, it makes you think that's where they went to school. But what I've found is that the decked outness of the individual with Alabama Auburn paraphernalia is proportional to their lack of proximity to ever being near a campus. <laughs> the more rabid the fan, the less likely it is that they've ever set foot on campus, uh, much less taken a class there. Uh, well, but you see, seeing. Well, you must, you must have gone to Alabama, but that's, that's not explaining it. And John knows from his own experience to be very, <coughs> excuse me, weary of that. When he was taken up on the Mount of Transfiguration uh, to uh, witness Jesus being revealed in all of his glory, he goes up with James and Peter, and there is Jesus radiating like the sun with Moses and Elijah behind him. And Peter says, we need to hang out here for a long time. We're going to build three tents, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Jesus. And before Peter could get set to work on the shelters, a voice from heaven calls out, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. In spite of the fact that you've just seen him revealed in his majesty, don't judge him by the way he looks, but listen to him. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Genesis 1, God speaks things into existence. His very Word speaks life. He says it, and it happens. John understands that Christianity is not primarily a religion of sight, but it's auditory. It's a hearing faith. As Paul said, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ in Romans chapter 10. So looking at this scene in heaven in Revelation of scores and scores and thousands upon thousands of people around the throne of God and the Lamb, what is it all saying? Well, the elder answers. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are the ones who have heard the good news of Jesus Christ, what he's done for them, 
and appropriated that for themselves. They believed wholeheartedly the gospel. Those seeds have taken deep root in their heart and their robes have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. But you say, wait a minute, but there's a great tribulation. If you're saying that these are all the Christians gathered around the throne of God, you know, I can understand our brothers and sisters who have been killed by ISIS or our reformers who were burned at the stake during the Reformation or the early Christians who were devoured by lions and Colosseums throughout the Roman world. But me, tribulation, me? Hardly. Well, our tribulation may pale in comparison to the tribulation that our brothers and sisters in Christ have experienced. In fact, just as an aside, there are more Christians killed for their faith in the 20th century than all previous centuries combined. And yet you and I, if we are Christians, will undergo tribulation. Because the default position of the world toward Christians is to hate them. If you are a Christian, the world is going to hate you. Jesus says in John 15, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. There's no way around it. And this is a hard word for me. I'm sure it is for you too, because I'm a firstborn. I like to be liked. I'm a people pleaser. But lately, as I've been thinking about this sermon before I go to bed at night, I've been asking myself the question, who is it that I'm supposed to be pleasing? What has the world done for me? I mean, even those of us who have done very well in the world, if you're a Christian, you know that you are where you are because of God's grace, not because of the world. And what has Jesus done for me? He's washed us. He's washed us and redeemed us. Redeemed us and washed us with his blood. This is why it was necessary for Jesus to die upon the cross. As Hebrews tells us, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. A clergy friend and I were talking once and I was shocked to hear him say that Jesus' death on the cross was not necessary. I beg your pardon? And I got my rocks out and my little kindling. Just kidding, I didn't do that. I, I said, what do you mean? He said, well, it's really important as the resurrection. And I said, look, I, the resurrection is of ultimate importance, but it doesn't make sense in light of, of Good Friday. And he said, no, that's not true. And so I asked him, what if Jesus had died of pneumonia? And he said, yeah, that would have worked. Well, not according to this. Not according to God's word. The only way that we can be, be made clean, the only way that we can be forgiven, the only way that our sins might be remitted so that they're as far away as the east is from the west is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And that idea of a white robe being put on shows the holiness that you and I are putting on. It's not a holiness of our own. Uh, we've discarded our unrighteous rags and put on the garment of Jesus Christ. We've put upon him, put upon ourselves his righteousness, his holiness. So now God the Father sees us as he sees his son Jesus. 
even though we know that we struggle and that we still fight mightily with the sin that is in our lives, God sees us as sinless and blameless and he looks at us the same way that he looks at his own son. And because of that, we have access to the Father before the very throne of God. Where before, because God is so holy, no one could enter into his presence without dying. But here the saints of God are gathered around the throne with palm branches, singing hymns to him. Salvation belongs to our God. Now, although there are more than John can number... We shouldn't believe that this means that everyone will be saved. We see in chapter 6 that this will not be the case. That the great and the powerful, the rich and the poor, the free and the slave will hide themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. Calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne. And from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? Uh, There are those who would rather have mountains tumble upon them than actually face the Lamb. Uh, They've obviously got it wrong because what they don't understand is the property of this Lamb who is to be merciful and gracious and loving, but no, they'd rather hide in the caves. If you have difficulty with the truth of salvation through Jesus Christ alone, by grace alone. It's because you don't fully understand where you have come from and what Jesus has gone through in order to get you where you are. You don't understand the links that Jesus Christ has gone to to redeem you, to ransom you, giving up his life and what he saved you from. If you see sin as a small thing, then you need a small savior, not a great one. You know, I often uh, have terrible, morbid thoughts in the midst of moments when I ought not to. And I remember being on an ocean liner once and started imagining what it would be like to fall off. And, uh, you know, chipper things uh, that that get me through the day. And, um, but what what if you did fall off? What what if you fell off into the water, but some keen-eyed passengers saw you flailing in the water and quickly sent uh, a life uh, jacket tethered to a line to you, uh, would you cry out from the water, I want options. No. You would, in great joy and satisfaction, grab hold of that life preserver as fast as you can because you would understand that it's the only means by which you might be saved. There was a story recently of a woman who missed a cruise uh, in the Caribbean somewhere. And she, uh, as the, she was 65 years old and saw that the boat was pulling away and about 50 yards away from port. And so she jumped in and started swimming toward it. Right? We all know that she was not going to be able to scale the side of the ocean liner. It just wasn't going to happen, no matter how well-meaning it was. And some fishing boat ended up picking her up, but she missed the boat. Jesus does not simply provide a way for us to be saved. He himself is the way. And so for the Christian... 
It's not some doctrine that we hold up in the, in the face of people and say, you know, Jesus is the only way. But as Christians, we present it with humility because we praise God that there is a way. That in our thrashing in the ocean, God has sent us a lifeline when we thought we were going to go completely under. And for that, our heart cries out. And we join the chorus of the saints that salvation belongs to our God. To him who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. We praise God that there is a way. But the gospel is so upside down that the world never sees it. The world wants to hide in the caves. They don't understand who this Lamb is and what he is offering them. They'd rather hunker down and do it in their own strength. But look at chapter 7. Everything is backward. What do you mean I get my garments white by dipping them in blood? That makes no sense. And then I read that, that we're in, in heaven and that the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. Look, I don't know a lot about shepherding, but you don't put a lamb in charge. This is totally backwards. It almost sounds too simple. Are you saying that I join this great multitude by simply being washed? By the simplest of prayers of Jesus, wash me in your blood. For there's no other way. I have tried to scrub my life up by any means possible. And yet you're it. You're it. So this morning... You know that this glimpse that John has of heaven are of all the saints. Does he see your face in that great multitude? Are you washed in his blood? Does your heart sing out salvation belongs to our God? Do you know what you've been rescued from and where you've been brought and the price that has been paid for you? So this morning... I pray that you might pray to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Amen.